podcast is a proud member of the CypherCast Network. Discover more at CypherCast.net. And follow us on Twitter at CypherCast.net. Welcome to Incantations, an Invisible Sun podcast. I'm Scott. And I'm Dave. And we will be your guides along the path of suns. Today we sing, The World is But a Maze. We will discuss how much creativity players can expect to bring to the table with different Vizlay orders and what tools they have to help. Join us on the path of suns and we may uncover a secret or two. When we cast The World is But a Maze, we discuss gameplay aspects of the Invisible Sun RPG. Today, we're going to talk about how much effort the various orders require from the players and what tools are available for them to use to help mitigate the effort that they're putting in. Um, so this is something that I've been, I guess, you know, thinking about kind of in the back of my mind uh, every now and then. Uh, and having run this game for over a year, um, I thought it would be fun to sort of, uh, you know, talk this over. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about creative effort. And this this is a, something I've been using to describe, like, how much work is it for a player to put their character's tools to use in, you know, in a scenario during a session? How, how hard is it for somebody to, you know, look at all the stuff that they have and come up with a solution to a problem that's been presented by the game master? Um, and this is something that comes up in, you know, all sorts of role-playing games. You know, the old standby is Dungeons and & Dragons. And I would say there, the creative effort is pretty flat across all the classes. Um, but I also think that Dungeons & Dragons is isn't as challenging uh, for players or game masters as Invisible Sun is on a whole, as a whole. Uh, and I simply mean that it's like the problems you run into, it, it seems they're a little more prescribed. Sure, you could get creative and do something really crazy. Um, but I feel like in Dungeons and Dragons, when you're presented with a problem, you know, either you're going to hit it or you're going to look down your skill list and just do something based on that. And Invisible Sun, I think it's a little more open and freeform. Well, and not to get too sidetracked into Dungeons and Dragons, but it is a useful comparison point. Uh, there was a lot of variety by class. And one complaint about many editions of Dungeons and Dragons was that uh, wizards or their equivalent in any given edition had a lot of flexibility, uh, or mm -hmm. at least comparatively a, a, a large flexibility in how they use spells. And some spells could be used in kind of remarkable ways if you thought it creatively about a, a given situation, uh, like Mage Hand and other sort of cantrips even could be really interesting and used in flexible ways. Uh, but really, fighters had the swing sword button. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. that was a com common complaint. And, and I guess... Um, so I was saying that it's pretty flat across all the classes. I guess the exception would be any spellcasting class because right. they just have a ton more options. And I guess, you know, that leads into Invisible Sun pretty nicely because everybody in Invisible Sun is essentially a wizard and has, you know, tons and tons of options that they can pick and choose from in order to overcome the problems that they're running into 
in this game. And this is one of the things I liked about 4th edition D&D, because um, we haven't gotten enough hate mail lately. I'll go ahead and say there, there are things I liked about 4th edition D&D. Oh, you mean the worst edition <laughs> of D&D? Uh, one of the things I liked about it was that, uh, and, and they said that when, when they launched the game, they, they pointed out that they had complaints that the player's handbook was two-thirds a book about how to play a, a spellcaster <laughs> and one-third a book about how to play the game. And so they they made classes similarly complex. So fighters now had spell-like abilities and classes that used to only have the swing sword button now had things that looked kind of like spells and wizards, abs- the people who traditionally played wizards absolutely freaked out because they were no longer unique in having that sort of flexibility or that sort of uh, set of options. And I honestly believe one of the, re- one of the reasons that 4E was uh, – not popular um, or is not well remembered is that the most vocal component of the D&D community are the spellcasters and the spellcasters were upset about losing their uniqueness. Yeah. And, but they're wrong uh, because <laughs> wizards in fourth edition, yeah, they still had a whole bunch of tools and the fighter got a bunch of powers that were only useful in a fight. Yes. Yeah, no, I, I, it's, it is a reductionist argument, um, but I think it, it explains a bit of the pushback. And also, I think it explains somewhat of the design principle behind Invisible Sun to get us back to that. Um, if the most popular class is spell, are spellcasters, why not make everyone spellcasters? So and let's just have a game where everyone's a spellcaster. Spell yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it, I heard a, a podcast mm. interview with, um, I think it was Shannon Applecline about the uh, history of RPGs. Mm-hmm. And he said he had heard that the design of Ars Magica back in like the 80s was grounded in the same idea that uh, the the design team said, you know, D&D is the most popular game. What's the most popular part of the most popular game? It's spellcasters. Let's make a game where you just do that. And Invisible Sud is similar in that respect. And that's where we get the complexity conversation we're leading into now. So I went through and did a quick little ranking of what I think are the, you know, complexities of the different orders. Um, Because I think order presents you with, you know, here's how magic functions for these different types of characters. And it, if you follow those, the way the orders use their magic, I think you can get a a sense of like how, how much effort you're going to put into, you know, playing the game. Um, There, there are things that you can ignore in each of the orders and then everything sort of evens out. But I think if you focus on like using your order's tools and how your order uses magic, you're going to see a different level of effort from, you know, what the order is expecting you to do as a player. Um, so based on what I have in those notes, do you just want to run down here and uh, talk about which order is in which position and if we agree or disagree? Sure. I, I There's some points I will likely disagree with you on, but that's just more fun podcasting. All right. Um, so, okay. Oh, do you have a list? Well, um, I, I had put something in apparently the improper order, and it was yeah, moved, I moved it. So we'll see. <laughs> okay, cool. All right, so um, so at the top of my list for like the most complex order, I, I've got the weavers, um, and I, I I guess I'm kind of conflicted about this one because I'm not sure if they should be the first one because uh, I think early on weavers are uh, very complicated. Because you can do anything. You basically have no bounds on what you can do. You have some absences on the aspects that you can use in your spells. 
uh, and it does take some effort to think around them. But you can, ju- if you if you think long enough, you can generally come up with a solution for any problem that's presented to you as a weaver. And I think that's where their complexity comes in, and that's why I put them as like, here's the character type that is going to take the most like creative effort from a player at the table. This is not where I disagree. You... <laughs> uh, okay. I totally agree with you. Um, I It's challenging, I think, on both sides, player and GM, to figure out what the cost should be of given proposed spell powers. Uh, mm-hmm. But the it, it is relatively unbounded. Uh, and that's why people choose weavers. They, they want to ha- be able to exercise the creative design of different spell effects. And that's the whole selling point of this order. Um, and it lives up to that. Yeah, um, honestly, like finding the level and the color has been, you know, the very short part of how the weaver works at my table. Uh, Troy is the weaver at my table, and it's I find it entertaining to watch him like puzzle through how he wants to apply his magic in a situation like ever. Like if we're in a fight, he will generally go last so that he can take the whole round to just sort of work through his process to determine what he wants to do with his magic. And it looks like he is burning a whole ton of like brain power just to do it. I'm not saying that he's stupid. I'm saying that weavers are really complicated because they can basically do anything. In some ways it scales with intelligence. The, uh, the more, the, the more you want to think about different applications, the more the uh, frontier opens for you and the harder it is to decide what to do. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then in the second position, I put the Vance order. Um, and I think I could interchange the maker and the Vance because I think they have the same sort of restrictions and the same sort of requirements for using your tools creatively. Um, but with the Vance, you have this very narrow set of uh, tools that you can use. And I'm only talking about the Vance spells at this point like you they have a very narrow set of tools that they can use and finding a way to put those tools to use i think takes a lot of work and i think i just made them easier than i I think they're a bit easier than weavers because sometimes you just can't use your tools to like solve a problem yeah you you don't have the presumption that you can solve any problem with your spells yeah. So you can kind of dodge that responsibility <laughs> uh, in either the van- first spell casting in the Vance case. Uh, and with makers, you not only have in some ways you have unlimited scope of what you can build. Yeah. But because it requires time, you don't have the time pressure to solve a given encounter problem right now. Yeah. And that's why I dropped makers down to number three on my list, because I think they have the same kind of restrictions as advance, but if you are building your tools, you're not doing it at the table for the most part. And you can build the tools that are, you know, supporting the way you want to play your character. And then you can use those tools and you're more familiar with them. You can use them at the table for generally how you want your character to work. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought that the maker, I think the maker is a little bit easier than the Vance uh, when it comes to creative, uh, like creative energy. Yeah, I, th- I think it depends on what your Vance is doing. Uh, if the Vance is taking seriously the uh, the notion that Vance's design new spells, mm-hmm. then they're very much like makers in complexity. 
If yeah, advanced focuses on the, the old spells, then um, they're actually simpler than the makers. Uh, um, old spells? Right. If they, if they are focusing on the spells that come off the cards in the box, then I think they are in some way simpler because they, they, they just focus on what it is they can, how they can apply those given abilities. Whereas the maker, in some sense, is writing new cards for themselves. Yeah, and I guess if Advance was making their own spells, then I think I'd put Maker and Vance right in the same slot. Mm -hmm. Like, they're doing the same kind of thing. It's just that the Maker is building a tool that they can use over and over uh, for a specific purpose, whereas the Vance is building out spells. They're building out their their book of spells that can be applied in unique situations. Right, so I, so I see them quite similar. Yeah. Uh, what did you have in uh, 2 and 3? Are we Are we on the same page there? I'll, I'll defer the conversation a bit, but I would have Goetics as the second most complex after Weavers, but I think it may be because I play Goetics differently. Okay. And so we'll, we'll get to that at the end because you, you have that later on the list. I do. Um, so like uh, the in rank number four, I've got the Apostates. Uh, and Apostates, I think, are a little bit easier to work with because they have so much... It, it's easy for them to be flexible because uh, whenever they spend crux they get they can get more general spells pretty quickly and when they're when you build out your uh your collection of general spells you have a whole lot of options that you can choose from and you can generally find tools that you need in order to address any situation that you're in uh and you can also use the apostates different abilities from spending that crux to you know help support what you're trying to do um so i think that apostates are you know, they take a little bit of planning and a little bit of preparation. But once you've spent a few crux, you you have a pretty effective character that's flexible and can easily just take a spell that's a, appropriate for what they're trying to do and use it instead of trying to come up with a creative solution for a spell that doesn't quite fit where you're at. Yeah, so without the focus on creating new spells, I do think apostates would fall be behind Vance's mm -hmm. in the scope of their uh, creativity, though they still have the creative outlet, uh, very much like traditional D&D spellcasters, where the trick is how do you use this set of options to solve this problem? But that set of options is relatively static compared to the other higher ranked uh, orders because those other orders are writing their own options. Yeah. They're designing their own options. Yeah, and you don't have to worry about that with the apostate. Mm -hmm. uh, so then, at the bottom of my uh, the bottom of my list, I put the goetics, um, and I put the goetics at the bottom because whenever I've dealt with the like you know whatever the goetic is summoning, they're summoning up some sort of creature and they're doing it for a specific purpose, and you know it's it it's kind of like playing a weaver but taking off all of the limitations that the weaver has but then you know the restriction is is that it can't be as powerful as the weaver like uh, and i guess what i mean is a goetic who's starting out can ask a few things of a creature uh that they summon uh but that creature can only be like level three so it's not like a super powerful effect uh and as the goetic gets more and more powerful they can summon more powerful beings and ask more of that being to help them with and it's once like the weaver it's kind of only limited to your imagination but you don't have to work around the restriction that the weaver has 
in uh, their aggregates. <laughs> and somehow, I don't think the Goetics are more powerful than the Weavers because they're really just bound by what this creature, what the creature's level is and what they can do with it. Um, I don't know. It, it seems like a Goetic would be more powerful than a Weaver, but I find that there's a restriction that's you know, placed upon the Goetic simply because they're negotiating with a creature to help them. In terms of power, I think I agree with you. But in terms of creative burden, I mm-hmm. think that Goetics could be much more burdensome. But again, this is a burden that some people want. This is why so this, some say that's why we play this game is to to carry this burden. And it depends on how you play out the Goetic ability. So why They're, is it my okay, because you put these much higher than me. Yeah, I put Goetics right behind Weavers. And what makes the Goetics so much more complicated in your eyes and experience? Well, they are less complicated than weavers in that the the entities that they summon, they can only assign to particular tasks. And the, mm-hmm. the, or, the range of those tasks increases as you move up in your order. So I do think that they're less uh, uh, open than the weavers are. Whether they are right below weavers or at the bottom of the list depends on how much we ask of the players to design the entity that they're summoning. So... I put a high uh, creative burden on my Goetic uh, in part because um, she she enjoys this. Um, And I I will say things like, okay, you want to summon something. What is it you want to summon? What type of entity? Um, What is a a unique characteristic of this particular entity? Um, What is its name? Is it part of a pact? What are the characteristics of this pact? And so there's a lot to build into that individual summoning. And I did this because I wanted to incentivize the player to have to build a long-term relationship with the summoned entity. That it's not just I'm summoning a uh, fire rat to run over some- and set something on fire, and I'll never again think of fire rats. Instead, uh, summon something important that you would actually negotiate with uh, and build this relationship over time. So now she has um, an an angel that she has as a contact and uh, a kind of fire manticore from the golden sun uh, as a contact. And these have have appeared multiple times. They've influenced character building as well as particular encounters. But it came from the design of that entity in the conversation, much in the same way we design Weaver effects. Yeah, uh, the way we usually do our demons or creatures is when the Goetic wants to summon something up, I'll ask if he has anything in particular in mind. Uh, and we generally fall back on just flipping over a sooth card and looking for something interesting on there and saying, all right, let's pull some, you know, bits from this sooth card and make this the creature that you're interacting with. Um, and I got to say, we don't have a whole lot of memorable creatures that he's uh, summoned up, um, but, you know, he, he's got ongoing problems with the angels that he's trying to resolve, uh, but he does have one demon that he likes to call upon with some frequency. It's this demon that's made out of hands. Um, and that shows up every once in a while when he needs to steal something. So I can see the the benefit of, you know, putting more creative work into the player's hands. Um, but yeah, it depends on the player. And I, I'm pretty sure my player is perfectly happy to just flip over a card and interact with some weird monster that shows up. 
Absolutely. I, I don't think the variety in ways we can play Goetics is an indication that the game system is failing. Mm. I think it is a sign that it is succeeding because one of the design principles has been all along, the, this game is as complex as you want it to be. Yep. And if you want to have something simple, there are ways to have a simple version of that order or that creature or that system. Uh, but if you want to have more flexibility and more creative burden, uh, you can do that with just about any of these orders. Uh, maybe even with apostates, that'd be a little trickier. But certainly with with spell creation for vances and item creation for makers, and if you're creating the summon entity with the intent of them being a repeat summoning, and you get into questions of their pacts and their characteristics, and you don't just pull them out of the books, you actually kind of build them, uh, you can go as deep as you want to. Um, in these, mm -hmm. uh, just like you can with weavers, uh, and so it, it it's what the whatever the the party and the and particularly the player wants from their play experience. Going back to the analogy from earlier to D anD D, some people are very happy with having the swing sword button, and they want to come to the game and they and, and it even varies over time. The same player may have different desires in different sessions, but they may come to the game when I'm like, all I want to do is swing my sword at an orc. Will there be an orc? Will there be a sword? Good, I'm in. Pass the pretzels. Um, and that's fine. And the game actually does support you know, simple characters at, at various times. And like, even if your Goetic has, has previously gone into a lot of design for their summoned entities, but one particular night, uh, you know, she's just not that engaged. She is, is there and wants to play, but doesn't have the energy to invest in all of this creative burden. Is that Goetic can still say, look, I've got, I, I can, I'm going to negotiate with an entity. I'm going to summon a, a, a generic demon <laughs> and I'm going to ask them to do this generic task from my list. And we're just going to, I just, that's all I want to do right now. <laughs> yeah. And that's fine. And, and the game supports that. And then the next week, maybe they do design their own earth spirit or something along those lines when they summon someone differently. Uh, but the game scales its complexity with what a player and the table wants. Uh, so before we wrap this up, I did want to, offer a couple of tools that would help, you know, reduce how much creative, like creative input you're going to have to present at the table. Uh, because sometimes you don't want to put in all that effort. Uh, and like, I've got a couple of tips that I think, I think I would give my players if they were looking for it. Um, so one thing I hadn't considered previous to this discussion was each of the classes has ways to um, reduce how much creativity you like spontaneous creativity you need to come up with like vances you can build your own spells makers build their own tools um, you know goetics can you know form these long-term deals with creatures and just summon them up very quickly uh, so that you don't have to worry about you know coming up with all those extra details i don't know about weavers and apostates whatever um, they're on their own um, <laughs> but something that everybody has access to would be general spells like you can spend a little bit of acumen in order to grab some spells that you can use in a pinch so that, you know, if you're, if you find that you're having trouble, you know, you know, being helpful in a fight, grab, grab an offensive spell, grab a defensive spell. Um, I think it's also important for everybody to have access to some sort of divination spell. Like you want to be able to, you know, search for information and you want to be able to have a spell that will help you do that. Um, I also think it's important to find goofy spells that you can pick up that don't really have a logical application, but you find them entertaining. 
because if you're entertained by a spell, you're going to be able to come up with reasons to use it, and you might actually find a reason that makes sense and is helpful. Uh, the, the game also has ephemera in the form of uh, incantations and objects, and, you know, use those. Just, you know, don't, don't sit on them, don't hang on to them, just use them, throw them out, uh, and, you know, they can sometimes just be the solution to a problem. Uh, I've had that happen so many times where it's like, I think I have a really interesting problem to present to my players, but one of them has this ephemera that they say, oh, I, I'm going to just use this. I have an incantation that will just take care of this problem. And I mean, I'm not disappointed because, you know, they're really happy that they got to use this really cool effect and it solves this problem. So, you know, they're playing the game and they're into it. So that's great. Um, and the last thing would be secrets. It might not be the last thing, but the last thing I thought of was secrets. Everybody has access to secrets. So it takes a little bit of effort to you know run through the secrets and find things that would help you play the way you want to play. But there are secrets out there that are going to you know help you reduce how much work you're going to have to put in at the table. Uh, any others that you can think of that we should mention? No, I think those are good uh, guideposts, and I believe they are useful for all the orders, including weavers. Uh, I yes. we just have a new weaver that's joining our play group, and I talked to him about his uh, uh, I forgot what they're, now they're called uh, threads um, aggregates aggregates uh, aggregates yes and uh, and I, I and I told him you know choose these choose your aggregates in a way that you're pretty sure you know what to do in a generic, in, in a range of circumstances like this. So I tell like, do you have an idea of how to use this offensively, defensively, investigationally, those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And um, so that you don't choose uh, aggregates that only really support offense or defense or divination or something like that, that you've got some options. And I, I try to encourage players really across game systems to think about what are the, what's the variety of tasks you may be asked to carry out and make sure you have something to do um, in those situations, uh, because even in other games, there is the tendency for some people to build a uh, to invest all of their choices in combat and then get upset when there's a non-combat encounter. Yeah. Um, or the reverse, like they're total they're a social beast. But uh, when they're in the dungeon and the orcs coming at them, they're like, I got nothing to do. I'm going to go hang out and I'll go get some popcorn. Uh, I'll check back with you later. But that's how I they, like to play. <laughs> so I encourage people to, to have options across these different types of encounters they're likely to face. And the same thing applies with the visible sun across the orders, uh, you know, choose a balance of spells, a balance, you know, have ideas for how you will weave or how you will make or how you will summon uh, to address these different types of problems. Uh, and then, you know, you won't have that situation where you get into a counter and say, I've got nothing here. So, you, you know, y'all figure it out because that can be frustrating for just about everybody. This ends our walk. Maybe you discovered something today. Maybe you need to look closer. The music was titled Beyond from Wes Otis and Plate Mail Games. It is available from DriveThruRPG. Invisible Sun is the intellectual property of Monty Cook Games. You can find a link to their website in the show notes. You can find our blog at incantationspodcast.blogspot.com or email us at incantationspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at Agonseer, that's at A-G-O-N-S-E-E-R, on Twitter. And you can find me at Tex underscore Red on Twitter. 
So please leave us a rating and a review on iTunes uh, or whichever uh, podcast app you are using. Uh, it really helps us out. Uh, we also like seeing ratings and reviews, whether they're good or bad. Uh, or else just tell a friend about the show. That's another great way to get the word out and ha help people find us.